This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. We took a week off last week, and apologies for that. We had a guest fall through at the last minute, and I didn't have a backup, so my, my bad. Um, but we didn't post a new episode, but we hope you did have time to go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. Um, and when I uh, stumble on those every now and again, I, I listen back to sort of the technical way of how it all came through. Um, and it sounds like we're getting a little bit better. So thanks for, thanks for bearing with us and, uh, and continuing to listen and, and giving your feedback. Lots of great things happening with my business. I signed up some new clients I'm really excited about. I'm also bringing in some new talent to help with those clients. So lots to look forward to here as 2021 uh, continues to chug along. One thing I did do the last couple of weeks was I ran a couple of Zoom webinars for the first time. And they came out not too bad. Uh, I was actually pretty nervous doing it. There, you know, there's so much that can go wrong. You got to click the right buttons and you got to send out the invite and make sure everybody's online at the right time. But um, it's also one of those times where I really force myself to learn a new skill. And I, I really love sort of that performing under pressure thing. I'm a classic procrastinator, um, but I love doing something new uh, under a little bit of pressure. And, and it can oftentimes be a, a good thing for me actually with my personality. And so I'm really happy now that I actually went and did that, forced myself to do it and brought a new skill set that I can now bring to my clients in the future. So let us know if you've done something sort of new and scary recently. Share, us, uh, share your stories with us on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, check us out there and let us know if you've done something that's new and scary and let us know how it came out. Did you crash and burn or did you, did you come through with flying colors? I'm betting it's the latter. Um, but enough about me and enough about what I've been doing. We have another special guest this week, so let's get right into it. <laughs> Molly McPherson is a public relations and crisis communications counselor and the author of Indestructible, Reclaim Control and Respond with Confidence in a Media Crisis. She's worked with dozens of clients from around the world in energy, sports, telecom, entertainment, education, technology, hospitality. She does it all. And she is also the host of her very own podcast, Confident Communications. I am a subscriber to that podcast as well. And I am really honored to have her on. Molly, welcome to the PR podcast. Jody, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for telling me that you're a listener as well. We're co-listeners. Absolutely. How did you get into crisis communications? I have to admit it's been there ever since I was young. I've been drawn to the bloody and dirty stories of the news. <laughs> I was a newsie even at a young age. Uh, I grew up in the Twin Cities. I can remember every anchor I ever watched on the news there. I've always been um, interested in news and following the trajectory of, of uh, reputations and brands as they rise and as they fall. But uh, Jody, where crisis, where I'll say I... I, I received my crisis chops. Um, my first place where I worked was the cruise line industry. And this was in the late 90s, 9-11 in Washington, DC. My office was, you know, right down from the Pentagon. I went home, you know, under the Pentagon as it was, you know, still burning. So that was a crisis response for the maritime industry. And then after that, I, I worked for FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency in Washington, DC. And part of my work there was with the post-Katrina uh, reputation management rehabilitation work. So I really feel like I, I 
I, I've experienced it when it hurts, like on the really bad end of it where someone has to recover. So that's, that's, and it's never left me and it's shaped the work I do today. We'll talk about diving into the deep end right away. That's, that's some incredible stuff. You must've been through some, some incredible days. Crisis communications is, can be so challenging. It can be mentally, even physically taxing on the people who have to go through it. What's it like to walk through a major crisis like that with a client? Well, when you say taxing, like I actually um, am invigorated by it. I get, I get excited to do it. I have energy to do it um, from the physicality of it. When I was working for FEMA in 2007, part of my role there was uh, we brought this idea of this broadcast strike journalist team because part of the rehabilitation we recognized was the losing battle. The press was never going to accept that FEMA was a well-run, well-intentioned organization, no matter how much we tried. And that was at the time when social media was just starting to um, go mainstream. Uh, politicians, uh, uh, businesses, reporters, journalists were using social media the day to day. So then is when I thought, you know, we could take our efforts online and in Instead of always going after the stakeholder of the press, why don't we go to the stakeholder that actually likes us and appreciates us? And that's the public, specifically someone going through a disaster. So that idea then was, let's go on the ground ourselves. Let's film our own interviews. Let's get our own footage to show what FEMA is doing. And one of the last storms that I did was Hurricane Ike. There was a number of storms that were hitting the Gulf Coast. And I was in Houston. And to show how much energy I had, I was actually training for a marathon at the same time. So I was in a hotel as a hurricane was hitting, you know, on their treadmill, you know, running. Um, and then the next day I was run over by a van and that was the end of my FEMA career. Are you serious? <laughs> I am serious. I had my own crisis. Yeah. We were filming. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah. I was working as a producer and a reporter and my, um, my videographer took a break and I said, you know what, I'm going to pick up the camera. You've been lugging it around. And so I was filming and the police was trying to get everyone to get out of the way. And there was a, a van there that was trying to take all, this was, this was the, the day after the hurricane, we were giving away water and ice and uh, they got out of line and the police officer was telling them, get out of here. And they did, but they did it by running over me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So how's well, that for a story? I'm, I'm kind of speechless there. That's, that's amazing. Obviously you recovered. What did you spend time in the hospital or Jody? I recovered, but sadly I never ran a marathon again. It was oh. the end of my marathon running. Um, but but yes, that's just, I, I add that story because talk about like an interesting little tidbit that you could tack on to a story, but, uh, but what I was doing and what we were doing at the time, that's what has shaped what I do today. It's telling your own story, especially if you're in a crisis, if there is your story that can shape, reframe, do anything to rehabilitate. And it's all about that authentic, honest communication, because that was the frustrating part of it. Yeah. FEMA took their lumps. New Orleans, FEMA made mistakes. Plenty of mistakes were made and plenty of mistakes went around there. However, we were doing good work, but we couldn't get a break. And I just felt there that, you know what, there's something that we can do internally. And, and I'm proud of my work and my idea that I brought there of, of, of creating our own footage and our own content. And it's never left me. So the clients who I work with now, my training, any, anyone who comes into my orbit, um, that's what they learn about me. It's like, tell me about your truth. Now let's communicate it. 
to such a great such a great tactic to try to maybe not control but redirect the narrative right by bringing your own content and it seems like we all do that now in 2021 but back then that was an original idea and probably some how was that received when when you were trying to push those stories out to media or to other decision makers or stakeholders it started with an idea when I had the last reporter laugh at me on the phone. And I said, you know, this work is grueling. It's government work and it's making me feel rotten. But it just, it was like a light bulb. It just went off and I said, you know what? Why can't we do this on our own? And so I asked the, you know, I asked my um, management, I said, could I be, and the term did not exist then, but a backpack journalist, could I just go with, you know, with a camera myself and, and just gather my own footage. And so we can use it ourselves. And I, I wasn't thinking social media per se, because we didn't have social media accounts then. Um, but they said, sure, whatever you want to do. And it was February. And I just had to wait for the next natural disaster. I was praying it wasn't a winter storm. I didn't want to go to a winter storm, but it was straight line wind tornadoes in um, Tennessee. Um, and so I, I packed my bag, packed my backpack and I went and I started, you know, when the tornado went, I just looked for people who we were helping and started interviewing them. And this was before the day of selfies and iPhones. It was like, what, you want to talk to me? So it was a different conversation and getting people comfortable with it. But I found enough people and we repackaged it, worked with the AV staff at headquarters and, and rolled it out in a meeting with everyone in the region. I mean, I have never had more yeses come so quickly. They said... This is what we're doing. Go. I mean, so no opposition whatsoever. So, and back in the days where, you know, that, that uh, film studio did not fit in your pocket the way iPhones do today, right? You're lugging some gear. I was lugging gear. Yes, it was. But we were, I was none the wiser. Now I look back and think, man, that was a lot of, a lot of luggage. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. That is such a great story. Um, you know, in our business, we run into crisis every now and then. Uh, you, in your business, you run into it all the time, right? That's what you do. Um, I'm always curious at what people define as a crisis. And typically it's, you know, it's case by case, right? Everybody has their own definition of crisis. For you, what is a crisis? A crisis when a lot of people, well, I would have to say our age and older, when you think of a crisis, it is one news story that has captured everyone's eyeballs or ears, you know, and, and it's sustaining, right? So we all go back. I mean, how many talks have you been to where they talk about the Tylenol crisis and or TWA 800? You know, it's these extended stories. A crisis to me now doesn't have to be a story that has national or international implications. It's when your reputation is no longer in your control. That's a crisis. So how do you, how do you, gather that, how do you gather your reputation back and own it yourself? So your, your ecosystem could be quite small, but it still can be just, just as damaging if your crisis is internal or if it is on a global scale. That's a terrific definition. I love that loss of control. I think that's probably the best definition of crisis that I've, that I've ever heard. Um, I, I, when I think of crisis, I think of a job that one of my first PR job that I had at a, um, at a college, um, and, um, there was a executive team that let's say was, um, prone to drama sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, occasionally they would, they would rally that executive team in the big boardroom. And I recall one day walking in there where there was something serious going on that we had to discuss. Uh, and, and the buzz in the room was, we've got a crisis. 
and there was this founding dean of the School of Pharmacy um, who used to wear sweater vests all the time, sort of this diminutive little academic man, a lovely guy. And he would walk in and look around and say, is anybody dead? <laughs> then we're gonna be okay. Oh. And it, he sort of changed the entire, um, um, he just sort of sucked the air out of the room and said, look, we're gonna be fine. We can get our arms around this. We just gotta think strategically about it. Um, and so I think that's a big part of crisis communications and crisis counseling is bringing the temperature down a little bit to be able to find your way through the wilderness. Would you agree? Oh, not only not only bring your temperature down, but recognizing right off right off the bat, even though it can be difficult when you're in the mix of it, is that there's always an opportunity there. So yes, you're going to take your lumps. You're either going to admit, acknowledge, take accountability, acceptance, you know, whatever it is, you have to own that piece of it. But on the other side of it, you can now rehabilitate, rehabilitate either your reputation or maybe a system or a process that you had. There's going to be some improvement that's going to come out of it. As long as you have that mindset, you can manage it a lot better. And to bring back the two words that I use and you, you, you tagged on the one, which is control. Your aim is control. But if you're in any type of chaos, that's when you're out of control. That's the crisis. But as soon as you can contain it and you say you have some semblance of control, now you're working yourself out of the crisis. And now your next steps are for rehabilitation and how you're going to do that. Um, and when you're working with your clients um, through these crises, um, eventually there's that moment where the crisis has subsided and you can kind of, I don't want to say get back to normal, but get, get, get the train back on the track that it's supposed to be on. Uh, you know, whatever there is the reason, uh, that the business wakes up in the morning and does what it does. Right. Um, but there are things you can do in the interim, I would think to prepare for crisis. Um, you know, things like make sure you've got the right team or have holding statements, you know, all, all these different kinds of PR and organizational strategies. Do you have any advice that you give to your clients about preparing for a crisis that will likely inevitably come one day? I think time, timing wise, the crisis, the definition of it has shifted so much that they're not in and of itself anymore. They're not these like these independent little events that don't leave a footprint. I feel like they they all do. Um, even if you have a plane crash, and you know that is an, an immediate event that has happened, the remaining residual crisis is aviation safety. Who did something wrong? What are we going to change? You know, there, there's always a thread that continues along. I never find that a, a crisis is just independent of itself. So when a crisis does happen for a lot of the clients I'm working with right now, it's usually stemming from some type of breakdown in their organization. There's some policy, there's some mindset, there's some system that's off and they and it caused them to not react a certain way. So let's say a CEO may go off the rails, for instance. It could speak to the value system of the organization. Where are your values? So in terms of preparing, I look at the I look at it as crisis mitigation. That's a big FEMA word for me. Mitigation, mitigation, storm mitigation, flood mitigation. How do we prevent this? I think if you shore up your mission, your values, your leadership communications, if you have leadership on board, if you have your board on board, if you have all the communication tools that you need, you are prepared for a crisis, in my opinion. Because even if it happens to you, you're going to have all the resources you need. You have trust, 
you have your resources and you have staff, then you'll be able to get through it. Who's the best spokesperson to have out front there articulating the message to the media? Is it the CEO or the president or is it an attorney or is it a PR person or someone else? Jody, excellent question. And my book, um, Indestructible, that really was the basis of it. I was thinking, how can I write a manual to get leadership comfortable with the idea of communicating in this environment? So many of the missteps that happen or the reluctance to communicating is all due to fear. They don't want to put themselves out there because it seems risky. It's easier just not to say anything or do anything. I'm going to put my spokesperson out there. But you and I worked in PR in the days where I'm sure you were, we were the spokesperson, that we were the spokesperson. Um, I could Google myself and find all my clips. But if I had the same role today, I wouldn't want to find my name as a spokesperson. I want to see the CEO. I want to see the president. I want to see the owner. The day-to-day -day communications, the statistics, the we're running the trains on time type of news stories, your press releases, you can rely on communicators for those types of of um, information like sourcing. But when it comes to speaking on behalf of the industry, the company, the organization, we want to hear from the CEO. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I always communicate with my clients um, that whenever they're doing news, the last person you want quoted is me on your behalf, yes. right? Because I'm not important to the organization. I, I can help do the behind the scenes stuff. I can create the message. I can create the strategy. I can help you, you know, rearrange the deck chairs in the right way. So the, maybe that's a right. bad analogy, <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the point, but the point oh, is- Jody, that, yeah, that's a really bad analogy. <laughs> you don't want that one. But, I will but, spot the iceberg. We'll run into the iceberg. I can't, I can't predict what will happen after that. <laughs> but, but the, but you know, the, 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 the CEO of the organization or the chief executive of the organization, they're the person who's, who's job. They're the person who started the business in the first place. They're the person who is the lead person for the business or the organization or the nonprofit or the school or the whatever. So it's their job to articulate the vision, the mission, the, the reason to exist for the organization. Um, mm -hmm. How do you get those people then? And, and let's talk a little bit more about what's in your book about getting them comfortable being in that role. It's, it's having them understand truly the power that comes from it. You can validate your work, your hard work, all the work that you put towards getting to that point to be the leader where you are, no matter what level you are. But if you lead something, there's a validation process there. I mean, you've done the work you've done and you don't, you're not as likely to put the risk in to lose it all because of one tweet or because of one interview. That's where the risk comes down. But if you educate and tell them that not only will you be able to get through issues, you're going to elevate your brand. You're going to elevate your reputation. You're going to elevate yourself as a leader if you put yourself out there. I had a client once ask me, like right away, you know, pitching to have me um, to work with them on a crisis retainer. And that was one of the things they asked me to do. They wanted me to serve as a spokesperson on their behalf. And I said, well, one, just from a practicality point of view, I can't, I don't work for your organization. You, you don't want to quote an outside PR person. That'd be the worst thing you could do. I said, but I, if I'm going to work with you, what I want to teach you is the value of having your leadership be the spokesperson. That's what you're paying for. You're giving me the reins to help your leadership get comfortable putting out your messages. And trust me, it will work. And it has.
That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Let's talk about, uh, speaking of social media, um, you are prolific on social media. I love your Twitter feed. And if anyone's listening and they're not following you, they should follow you right away. Um, you are one of the first tweets that I see when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> really? I don't yeah, know how prolific absolutely. I am. Okay. Oh, right. I think I it's do terrific. Like it. It's my go-to. It is. And, and so this week, and, and you had some thoughts on Twitter on this too, and I want to get into this. Peloton had themselves quite a week. Um, now I think you're a Peloton member. I know I am. I am. I am. Okay. Yeah. I am. And, um, and I actually, I actually wasn't going to, we got the bike pre pandemic and my wife wanted it. And I was one of these, oh, I'm not, I don't like riding bikes guys. Um, but long story short, I used it and I love it. So I'm a fan. Right. Um, but they had themselves quite a week with uh, the announcement about their tread. And in fact, this was sort of the, build, the, the culmination of something that, that was building for several weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for those who don't know, um, long story short, they um, had a recall on their treadmills. Um, there was a child that actually died in a horrible accident uh, related to a treadmill. There were some other issues with people who got injured. And then there was another treadmill. They have two of them um, that apparently the screen could fall off for some manufacturing reason or something like that. But long story short, they had a bit of a crisis this week where they had they were they were forced into this action of recalling or remedying all their all their treadmills. You said you had some thoughts on sort of the way things went for them this week. And I'm curious. Yeah, I, I, I've been watching them for a while. I mean, certainly when they had the blowback from their Christmas ad of the woman running in the Boston apartment, yes, absolutely. You know, my, which I loved that story. And I'll admit, I the had the husband little, who gave his wife the Peloton. Yes. Cause he loved right. her so much. So he wanted her to get in shape and lose weight. Right. Um, so I was all about the snark with the Peloton and uh, until March last year, the pandemic, when I was speaking on the road and I knew I was going to be shut down. I thought I may have to rethink my relationship with Peloton. I think I may, <laughs> may want to jump on that bandwagon. So I have been a user. Now what's interesting about this tread plus happening one I'll, I'll start here. I wanted a tread plus. I thought it sometime in yes. my lifetime, I Us need a tread too. plus, yeah. right? We were all set to get one. Oh, you were, you were. Yeah. Okay. We're now set, we're all set to get one Jody. So here's a question. Do you still want one? I know they're not available now, but would you still want one? I, I do. Now we don't have little tiny kids, right? We have kids who went, we can look at them and say, don't go near the thing or whatever. I think part of the issue here is that, um, there, there's too much clearance with that, with the, with the, the belt, right? And people, right. things, people and things can get under there, which is a dangerous thing, but we can put it in a place where we feel safe about it. We can tell them don't go near it, et cetera, et cetera. Other people don't have that luxury. Go ahead. I, so now it changed for me. Now I've wanted this. I've coveted the tread plus I thought, okay, I'm going to come up with my savings so I can get this. Um, but what changed for me on this story? A couple things. One, I only found out about it on the news. The CEO said that there was an email that went out to everyone. Jody, did you get an email? I didn't get one. No, I didn't get an email. I got I, a notification on my computer from, I think it was CNBC was the first one I saw. Mm -hmm. I saw it on Twitter. That's how okay. I found out about it. So that's one. So you and I are the same there. Um, also me, I don't have little kids, but I do have a dog. I have a big dog, Portuguese water dog who wouldn't get caught under that, but he could. So um, so anything this, can happen. Anything can happen. So this ties into when I was when I was listening to the CEO um, with the reaction, the Foley's reaction um, to this. So the first thing that Peloton did, which surprised me because it was a startling misstep for a company who went through the the, the PR grinder, you know, with that with that ad, 
but that was somewhat innocuous, is that he doubled down with his first statement. Now, I understand where it came from because the angle that Foley, the CEO, was working with was a privacy issue. Not many people know that. That's what he didn't want to do was give up the user information of his membership. He wanted to keep, he wanted to tell his membership, your privacy is is so paramount to us that we're mm. not going to give it away. Like but an Apple, I, like a Tim Cook thing. Right. But you and I didn't know about that, right? The first right time now, we're hearing it was- a baby died under a treadmill. Yeah, like right. that's horror. Now, horror of horse too. On top of that, I found out a dog died too. I had no idea. Okay. So they doubled down and then he came back and said, okay, we made a mistake. But when you make a mistake, when you're doing a second statement, you have failed the crisis. That is, is without a doubt. So, and everything with Peloton is tied into money, obviously. I mean, this is going to be a costly, and that's probably what drove him or guided him in that first statement. The cost of recalling all those treadmills mm-hmm. is going to be, it's going to impact the, the stock without a doubt. But when someone dies, you cannot outmaneuver, outmessage. You cannot frame yourself away from a death, particularly a child's death. And that was yeah. a mistake. Yeah, and it it goes goes back to the what I the the story that I just told about did anybody die? I mean, literally, right. somebody, somebody died. died. You've got you've got a major five alarm fire crisis, uh, and you can't, as you said, you know, maneuver your way out of that. It's simply, we were wrong. We're gonna fix it. Here we go. And yeah, and the other piece of it too is I do wonder about the membership communication, that internal communication piece. I never, I I looked at my emails. I never saw an email. And what was curious, the other night I was watching the Red Sox and I uh and I was reading about Peloton because I wanted to read the statement. So I went to the Peloton Facebook page. I don't know if you're a member of that page. Mm -hmm. So I started looking to see who's chatting about it. And I stumbled up on one of the posts from a woman who asked, you know, she took a picture. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trouble, tech troubleshooting on that page. Oh, yes. She said, there's a lot of residue um on my tread plus, you know, this black residue that's coming off of the off of the tread does anyone know what i could do about it and and everyone was giving her advice well you could use a broom oh it's normal and i said is anyone mentioning the bigger problem is that someone could die on this tread no one is mentioning it and finally one person said oh it's recalled so you don't have to worry about it and she said really why oh my so there's something there right Jody? there's someone who's in the in the tribe they're in it. Who should but like know? you? Wow. I don't think we know about this. So that's why I think Peloton, what they were doing, it was very, very specific. They had crisis people in right away, but I think they tried to thread the needle by getting out of it and making a privacy issue. And it came right back. That's a little cute. Yeah, you can't do that. No, you gotta, you gotta take ownership. That's um, you know, rule number one in crisis, at least the way I learned it, and I'm sure the way you did too, is number one take responsibility and accountability Two, apologize three, tell them what you're going to do to fix it. It's That's a simple, my framework, right it's there. as simple as that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that, and that takes care of today because crises also um, to me, uh, crises like these are ones that have a little bit of a life and there's sort of, there's sort of these cycles that you have to work your way through to get back to where you are, as you put it back in control of your own narrative. Right. And it doesn't, and everyone's, everyone's instinct is like, okay, flip the switch, make it right, make it okay. And it's never that quick. It's never that simple. There are steps to reclaiming control of your narrative. Would you agree? 
Oh, without, without a doubt. So, I mean, you said back to me really, because we're both, you know, trained in the same way. I have a framework, a response framework. I use it with every client. It's the lens that I look at every response. And that first step is you have to own it. That is the first step. It's all the A's it's, it's admitting, it's acknowledging, it's apologizing, it's accepting accountability, all of it. The public is asking and wanting that right away. That's the expectation. The second step is then you have all the time in the world. You can explain it, explain why it happened. And then that third step is what are your plans and promises for the future? The mistake that most people make and Peloton did the same thing. They start with step two, which is we're explaining it. Let let me, let me just tell you, let me just tell you what's going on here, but you are already alienating all of the stakeholders by not acknowledging what your role is. You're on shaky ground. It's like a house of cards from that point on. Mm. Tell us what else is in your book that we haven't touched on. Oh, geez. Well, we certainly have to leave more so people will be left wanting. There you go. There you go. (laughs) No, but a lot of it is um, it's, it's really a playbook about confidence. It's how to build confidence in this age to get people communicating and feeling comfortable communicating, understanding the jujitsu, you take that fear, but you communicate, you put yourselves out there and it actually makes you stronger. You will get through a crisis. You will get through anything, even the the proactive, the more that you have that comfort level, especially if you're not a digital natural, you know, the millennials and younger, they grew up with technology. They grew up with it in their back pocket. They're used to putting themselves out there. The rest of us, like we're digital misfits. Like we just, we're not, we're unsure at all time how to, how to do it. This is a playbook to recognize, you know what? We get it. We get it. You didn't grow up like this, but let me guide you and show you a playbook for how to get more comfortable doing that and how to be more authentic. All right. I am getting off the podcast after our conversation and I am purchasing my copy of Indestructible for sure. I'm going to do one thing though. I'm going to send it to you. I want you to sign it for me and then I'll get it back because I have a, I have a nice little collection of, of author signed books and I want yours to be one of them for sure. Jody, I want it seen hanging in that office of yours right after that, right on the show. There shelf. you go. I will put it right <laughs> over my shoulder. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great conversation, Molly. Thank you. Um, we're going to transition into the rapid fire question section of our uh, podcast. And this is where we steal a page from inside the actor studio. We ask our guests a series of rapid fire questions meant to elicit just a one or two word answer, you know, the James Lipton style. So with your indulgence, here we go. Rapid fire question number one, what is your favorite news source? Twitter. All right. There's a caveat there. It's not just the, the hoi polloi on Twitter is that it's using it for all, for all of the news at once. So that's where I go for my breaking news. Aggregation style. I do the yes. same thing, but now you may want to re- change that answer because rapid fire question number two is, what is your favorite social media platform? Oh, I see what you did there. I'm going to throw a fastball at you here. TikTok. Oh, that's a good one. I am. I am so bad at TikTok. I'm so bad. I'm fascinated by it, but I'm so bad at it. That's why it's my favorite. I'm a lurker. <laughs> okay. Just, you and me both. One way. One we way. Will lurk. We will lurk over here in the corner and watch all the TikTokers. Rapid fire question number three, coffee or alcohol? Depends on the time of the day. Every day it's coffee. When I'm having a blast, it's alcohol. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Rapid fire question. Number four, what is your favorite on the run food? Oh, I thought you were going to say on the run. Um, Well, uh, I am, um, I have celiacs. I have to eat gluten-free 
which is the absolute um, worst thing to try and work your way on. But this is a good question. We're going to go back to my um, to my coffee or we're going to go to some gluten free protein bar for on the run. Awesome. Boring. Awesome. Yeah, it's, just like gluten free food. Boring. It's what gets the job done. It get, I, oh, I, I like that, Jody. Right? Framing it gets the job when done. When I when I was a reporter, yeah, it was it was fast food. I just had to because I was in the car all the time, driving back and forth, driving back and forth. Uh, it was awful. I could barely fit in the car after a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So try that on a gluten-free diet. But I will say, here's my go-to when I'm traveling, Chick-fil-A waffle fries, because I can I can eat it gluten-free and it's it's a carb. So there you Perfect. Go. <laughs> Perfect. All right. And the last one, rapid fire question. Number five, what do you want to be after you finish this career? I don't want to finish this career. I just want to, um, I just want to relax a little bit more, but I want to, I want to keep in this career because I love it so much because I'm helping people. And anytime I can help someone, I feel like it's a job well done. That is the best answer we've ever had to that question. Congratulations. No, no it is. It really is. That's wonderful. <laughs> Molly, this has been a great conversation. Thank you again so much for spending some time with us. Please let people know how they can find you online and how they can get a, a copy of your book. Well, I would certainly love to see you on Twitter at Molly McPherson. My website is Molly McPherson. I, you know, Facebook, Molly McPherson PR, but my website, mollymcpherson.com. And I'm creating a section called Indestructible Hub. It's where I'm going to put a lot of my content. Um, you can find information on my book, but just free trainings, free downloads. And that's going to be coming soon. Fantastic. Molly, thank you very much again for spending time with us. Good luck with the book. Uh, we will we'll eagerly watch how it climbs the charts. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. Please remember to, to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The PR Podcast. Send us a question or a comment there. Our intro is by Christopher Appelt. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire them for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at jodyfisherpr.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.